Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm the founder of Divorced Girl Smiling, the company that brings people facing divorce trusted, vetted divorce professionals. We're also a podcast, a website, a mobile app, and I offer the free consult. Before we get started, I want to take a minute and recommend two Divorced Girl Smiling trusted professionals who I think are amazing. The first one is therapist Julie Walton. Julie is an LCPC and the founder of North Shore Reach, which is her therapy practice. She's also a divorce mediator. Julie's amazing, really warm, compassionate experience. So if you are looking for a therapist after divorce, you can reach Julie at NorthShoreReach.com or in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling. I also want to mention Jenna Noble and Monique Mason, who are the co-founders of Pathways Family Coaching. Now, what Jenna and Monique do is they specialize in people who are victims of parental alienation. So they help you reunite, reconnect with your children, and they give you strategies to do this, and they help you deal with this horrible, horrible problem. So if you want to reach Jenna and Monique, you can find them at pathwaysfamilycoaching.com or again in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. So I feel like I've been hearing a lot more about women getting divorced who are the breadwinner. I've had people email me. I've had people during my Divorce Girl Smiling free consults tell me they're the breadwinner. And for some reason, I feel like it's getting to be more and more. So when I saw that Catherine Miller, a divorce attorney in Connecticut and New York and a Divorce Girl Smiling trusted professional had written an article on this subject, I thought, wow, this is perfect. I wanted to have Catherine on the show to talk about this, offer tips for women who are the breadwinner, and talk about like the different dynamics and how it's different from a divorce where the man is the breadwinner. So hi, Catherine. Hey, Jackie. It's great to be here. Always nice to have you. And thanks for writing this great article and prompting me with this idea for the podcast. I think it's a really important topic and the first question I want to ask you is, do you feel like there's more and more women who are the breadwinner, like in the past few years? Has it always been that way? Tell me what you think the trend has been. Yeah, you know, uh, the trend, although we are far from, I think, done with this trend, but the trend has been in education and in careers that women are becoming more and more uh, successful and more and more educated over their male counterparts. And as a result, we have a lot more families in which the woman has is is the bigger, the higher earner than than the husband. And we're talking about heterosexual couples here, of course. Uh, and you know, I think one of the things that's really a challenge is, despite the uh, growth of feminist values and the sense of equality, many of us did not. Many of us did not grow up with the idea that the woman would be the higher earner than the men. Now, I think that hopefully in 10 years time, this episode of your podcast will be history. And we won't be having this conversation, at least in the same way. 
uh, as we do today. But I think we're at a moment in time when reality often is different than the expectation. And also women feel, I think, frequently that they do most of the household chores. And whether or not that's actually vacuuming and scrubbing the toilets or hiring someone to do it, making the appointments for the children to go to the doctors and buying their clothes and arranging play dates and birthday parties and all of that sort of stuff, then I think that becomes a challenge for women in general to feel like you're doing everything and working really hard, um, but also becomes a real challenge in divorce. Women just, we, and listen, I'm generalizing. There might be a lot of men that step up and do things. And so I don't want to offend anybody, but I do feel like every woman I know, we just take charge and we do it. When it comes to the kids, we just do it. Whether our husband says to us, I'll do it. We just don't even listen. Women just do it. And so if you're the breadwinner and you're working a 40 to 50 hour week and you're doing all that, I could see where the resentment would maybe creep in. So tell me before we talk about the women being the breadwinner in a divorce, tell me about being the breadwinner in a marriage. Do you think this causes marital problems that actually lead to divorce or maybe even just marital problems and you don't get a divorce? Yes. I mean, in a word, I do. And and so like speaking about cultural values, there's a lot of pressure on women. Now, there's a lot of pressure on men, too. So I don't you know, there's a lot of pressure on all of us in society. But as women, we were raised explicitly and implicitly with the expectation that we would do just what you talked about. It's not just a happenstance that women tend to just do it. It's because that's what we're expected to do. We're expected to make it happen. And that's the message we got from perhaps our parents and our families of origin and from television and movies and magazines and newspapers and just what it was supposed to be. So women make it happen. And, and so when you're making it happen in the home and raising the children, and you're also making it happen in the workforce and bringing home the majority of the money for the family, it can start to feel, you know, not fair. And you can start to feel like really unsupported and resentful. And that's the kind of thing that is the death knell to a good relationship. Resentment and, and that kind of underlying anger that never gets resolved is a real problem in marriages and ends up being people who talk to you and who call me as well. Now, I just got to say that I've represented a lot of men who've been in, in relationships, uh, obviously not ones that are going great because they're my clients and I am a divorce attorney, let's make no mistake, who feel like their wives feel like they do everything, but from their perspective, the man's perspective, they don't. And, and it might be that it's that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, maybe it's about communication or not. I'm not saying that it's true that the, the guy is not working, sitting on the couch playing video games all day long and ordering in dinner when the wife is late from work and she's doing everything else. But that's the perspective often. I overstated a little bit for the purposes of the example, but that is often the perspective of the wife in, in that situation. I think it's really interesting what you said about resentment. And I want to add something to that. A lot of women I know maybe I'm included in this too. We have resentment if we're working all day and then like dinner is not on the table and oh, now it's up to me to figure out what we're having for dinner. But one thing women could do 
is you have to ask for what you want. And a lot of women just hold it in. It's easier to just do it myself. And then they get resentful and angry, but they didn't really ask the husband. They don't give the husband enough credit that if you just ask for what you want, he'll do it because men don't want to be divorced. A lot of men don't want to be, well, nobody wants to be divorced. So do you agree? hundred percent. I think that it's true for women and for men that instead of saying he should have known, how could he not know? I would have taken care of this. If you don't say, you know, it would be really helpful. I'm going to be late from dinner home from work today. You're going to be home earlier. Could you get dinner on the table? And, and if he doesn't have a clue how to do that, give him some hints. <laughs> Absolutely. And people want directions. They want to be told what to do. And I truly think if you tell your spouse what to do, the person will probably do it. It's just that they're not thinking. And that might be frustrating that they're not thinking to do it, but they will do it, I believe, most people, if you ask. You know, the New York Times ran an article maybe three or four weeks ago about, you know, communication in a relationship. And, and it was like four points to uh, be able to have better communication in your relationship, which, of course, a marriage is. And one of the things they said is when you do this, the story I tell myself is this. So when you don't make dinner and I'm working late, the story I tell myself is that you don't care about me and you're leaving it up to me to do everything, you know, and that feels really bad for me. And I would like it if you would offer to make dinner or just make dinner, or we could, or I'd like it so we could talk about who's going to make dinner this coming week on Sundays or Saturdays. And that kind of thing, I think is it, it gets, it goes around the resentment, right? Like you're saying, I, the story I'm telling myself is whatever it is, but often it's that you don't care and you expect me to do everything. And, and that that is sometimes true, but sometimes it's a story you're telling yourself. And if you tell yourself that story for too long, that resentment is going to build and it's going to build and there's going to be no way back. I mean, you talk to people about this all the time too. Once you hit a certain level of resentment, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen. You just can't walk yourself back from that. I couldn't agree more. And I'm just going to interject and tell this story. Over the past summer, I am in a blended family and my kids came home from college. And so it was my two kids and my boyfriend and I, and we've only lived together for like a year and a half. So this was the first summer that my kids were going to be there. And the first couple of weeks, we had all these issues because it was like, what are we going to have for dinner? And he and I were both working all day and the kids were working. So we came up with this schedule and we did like two nights a week. I was responsible two nights a week. My boyfriend was responsible. And then the other three nights, the kids had to figure out, even if it was ordering and texting everybody, what do you want? And then like, obviously we paid, but they, but they were responsible for having a plan. So it didn't get to be five 30 or six o'clock. And it's like, Oh, there's no food in the house. What are we going to have? And I have to tell you, it turned out to be a great summer. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Even right. Fun even. And, and I think you know, five 30 or six, when there's no food in the house and everybody's hungry, then everybody gets hangry. And that's really not a great place to have this conversation. So have the conversation with a full belly, not at the 11th hour. 
You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I'm here with divorce attorney Catherine Miller, who is based out of New York and Connecticut. She's been a divorce attorney for over 30 years, and Catherine and I are talking about divorce when the woman is the breadwinner. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to get into the actual divorce and what goes on when the woman is the breadwinner. We will be right back. I want to take a minute to introduce my newest Divorce Girl Smiling trusted professional. Her name is Ardenay Fox, and Ardenay is a divorce attorney out of Arizona. She has been a divorce attorney since 2015 and practices divorce, juvenile, and adoption law. Ardenay formerly served as an assistant attorney general representing the Arizona Department of Child Safety in dependency, guardianship, termination of parental rights, and adoption matters. I am just so proud to call Ardenay a Divorce Girl Smiling Trusted Professional. She is wonderful. If you want to learn more about Ardenay and Fox Law Group, you can find her at foxlawgroupaz.com or in the Trusted Professional section of Divorce Girl Smiling. I also want to recommend health concierge Leslie Urbis. So I have known Leslie for almost a year now, and one word that comes to mind when I think about her is energy. She is so positive, so upbeat, so happy and excited, and so passionate about working with women to help them feel good about their body, lose weight, get in shape, and just have a healthy relationship with food. So if you want to reach Leslie, she can be found at leslieurbis.com or in the Trusted Professional section of Divorce Girl Smiling. She offers group coaching, individual coaching, and all kinds of wonderful information on her website. Welcome back to the Divorce Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. Today, I'm talking with divorce attorney Catherine Miller. Catherine and I are talking about divorce when the woman is the breadwinner. Catherine, I want to say one more thing before we get to the actual divorce. Don't you think there is a dynamic going on where if the woman is the breadwinner, I'm still on the whole marriage thing, like you're still married. A woman could lose respect for her husband if he's like a stay-at-home dad, has been trying to find a job for three years, not going, you know, oh, I just want to, I might want to go back to school. I don't really know what I want to do. You can lose respect for someone like that. And also, if you're the guy, you could end up feeling intimidated and just not good about yourself. And so you might have resentment for your wife. Absolutely. And and I don't think this is actually gender specific to men and women. I think in a traditional setting, and I mean, sort of old fashioned tradition, where the husband is the breadwinner winner, and the wife either stays at home or is um, earns a, a part time salary, when they started out, in graduate school together, they started out working at the same in the in the same financial firm or law firm or, or whatever, and and you you have a divergence then of of interest and of uh, basic day to day 
intellectual stimulation and, and emotional stimulation that is is I'm not saying one is better or worse, but I think for women who start out in a professional career or start out in the business world and then step back from that to raise the children also start to lose respect. I'm not saying this is right because I think being a stay-at-home mom is an impossible job and I wouldn't want to do it. I think it's really a really challenging job, but I think that there's a sort of sense of disappointment with themselves and and then they start to lose self-esteem. And I've had many clients who say, you know, I've been out of the workforce five years. Who's going to want to hire me? And Or I've been out of the workforce 20 years. Who's going to want to hire me? And, and, and they sort of predetermine that they're not hireable when that's far from the truth and that they could actually find something that is really stimulating to do, maybe not making the same money their husbands do or their spouses do, but that uh, finding what that is. And, and I think that same thing applies to men, maybe more so because there's this societal expectation that's still kind of a hangover from uh, more hundreds and hundreds of years, but uh, that that the that the man is going to be the supporter of the family. And, and so, uh, but I think that internal sense of what happened to me who am I? What am I doing that is self-identifying rather than in respect to somebody else? Like I am mom to these kids and, you know, the wife to these this person, like that, that becomes, that's problematic. And it's problematic for the marriage as well because of the different levels of self-esteem and um, in, involvement in the outside world. I'm so glad you brought that up about the stay-at-home mom because I was the stay-at-home mom. I regret staying home, not because I don't absolutely adore my children, but I was not a good stay-at-home mom with toddlers. I just wasn't. And I was the kind of person who had a lot of resentment, very low self-esteem. I would say that was the hardest time in my life. And I remember once my parents said, you know, what are you wearing? Like they came over my house and they were like, when your husband gets home from work, you should look nice. You know, what, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And that is true. Like it, it, I learned, I made a lot of mistakes when I was a stay at home mom, not valuing what I did, not respecting myself for doing that and not keeping myself up and looking nice, putting on a cute pair of jeans and a t-shirt, not saying you have to wear like a beautiful dress and high heels, but just look nice so you can feel better about yourself. And so you won't get into that dynamic of, oh, he's better than me or, or the husband, she's better than me. That's 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 something to be wary of, regardless of who's making more money. If you feel like you're making a valuable contribution and it's recognized by your partner, great, no problem. It's it's the part where you start to not feel that way, or you start to doubt your own contributions, and that often is projected onto the other person. It's like, well, you don't value me enough. Well, if you value yourself enough, who cares, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And what I want to say to people who are stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads who are listening to this is you have a really important job. So I'm telling you that, Catherine's telling you that, but you have to believe that yourself. Absolutely. And and you and and to find a way to define yourself that isn't about the other people, the people you're caring for. It's about yourself. And and making that choice is a perfectly valuable choice to make so long as you agree on it inside your family uh and I'm, I'm not denigrating it at all i like i said earlier i could never do it i i really need 
you know, I like people to listen to me and my kids don't always do that. <laughs> Especially when they're toddlers. Exactly. Okay. So let's move on to the divorce. So what typically happens in a divorce where the woman is the breadwinner? Is it the, does it work the same way as like when a man being a breadwinner? Yeah. So let me just sort of take you down memory lane a little bit, my memory lane. You know, when I started practicing uh, in the 80s, uh, equitable distribution was a relatively new law in New York. And before that, the way property had been distributed in New York, uh, where I was practicing and still do, was distributed by title. So if it was in the husband's name, as almost all the assets were, then they went with the husband. If they were in joint names, then they would be split. And if they were in the wife's name, they'd go with her, which was pretty unusual. So we had much longer term, much more frequent lifetime alimony, meaning support that the husband, it was this was gender specific at the time, that the husband would pay to the wife for her support because she was leaving the marriage with very few assets as a general rule. And so then uh, the New York legislature and their wisdom decided that wasn't so good. And it was pretty old fashioned. So they got came up with this idea of equitable distribution, which basically says that the assets accumulated by either spouse during their marriage are equitably divided according to a number of features, including the length of the marriage and the, uh, the indirect contributions of both partners to the accumulation of the assets. So being a, a homemaker and raising the children freed up the husband then to go to work because he didn't have to care for the children. And so that was considered a partnership. And then the assets were divided in an equitable, but often equal uh, way. That's a, a very oversimplification. So don't think of that as any legal advice at all. It's just a kind of a description. And when I was practicing at that time, wow, the men were pretty darn pissed. This is all my money and I earned it and I have to divide it with her, even though maybe she had an affair or maybe she, you know, did something that made me angry and I wanted a divorce. It doesn't really matter. We're still dividing all of these assets, even though they're my assets. I earned them. OK. And and on top of that, I'm going to have to pay child support and possibly alimony too, because if the assets aren't enough to generate enough income and he had the capacity to pay to support two households in that in in at the same level or close to it, then there was a lot of paying and he was pretty pissed off. And at that time, I really uh, preferred to represent women because they were always a lot happier because he thought that he was having to share his money. And so did she. She was like, I'm getting all this money from him. And, and so it wasn't this idea of family money. Right. And so nowadays we have a little bit more of a kind of a reversal there where women are like, wait a second, I have to share them. I did all of that that I said earlier in the show. I made all the doctor's appointments. I arranged for food to come in. I made the doctor's appointments. I arranged for clothing. I took care of the kids all the time. All he did was maybe he picked up, Jackie. Maybe he picked up, but that's basically it. I did everything else and I earned all this money and now I have to share it. And maybe I have to share it equally. In addition to that, if we're going to have an equal parenting plan in New York, that would mean that the wife in this situation, the mother, would be the payer of child support. Now, that is totally against the idea that as the mom, I'm the recipient of support. I'm the person who gets alimony. I'm the person who gets child support. I don't pay it. That's for people who are bad moms. 
And, and so we have a, a situation where there's a disconnect, A, between a sense of what's fair and a sense of who I am. Because in, in my example here, I am a really dedicated mom and I'm also a really dedicated lawyer or doctor or investment professional, financial professional, insurance broker, whatever it is that I do. Like I'm dedicated to that, but I'm also a thousand percent dedicated to my kids. And I never saw a disconnect between the two things. And there isn't. And, and so the idea that I'm going to have to give up my security that I've been working on in my financial portfolio, and I'm also going to have to pay support for that good for nothing guy who's been casting around for what he wants to do for the last three to five years, that really isn't a very pleasant conversation. So do a lot of these women just freak when they find out they have to pay child support and alimony? I mean, do they just like, is it worse than the men? Because the men kind of expect it because as you said, this has been going on for decades. And so now uh, tell me, what do they say? Yeah, well, I, I was sat in one meeting where a woman stood up, slammed her hands on the table and said, that's it. It's official. I will never be able to retire. You know, like, and then like, that's the reaction is it's like, and, and men often have that reaction too, but they're, when they start thinking about divorce, they think they have an expectation that they're going to have to share it, which is like, when I'm going back to the eighties, they didn't have that expectation. Now all of a sudden they did, they were being faced with this news. Now women who've never really thought about accumulating assets in their own name as being marital it's a completely different, I think, not for everybody. And, uh, you know, we're really talking as a, a, a percentage of the population, but I think it, these ideas kind of leak out from that, this idea that uh, it's, it's the man who's responsible for the financial security of the family and the, and the woman whose work is not so central to that, even when the facts are obviously that different than that. I truly believe that when people get divorced, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience and then the thousands of women and men who I've talked to over the last 10 years from Divorce Girl Smiling, but I think when you get divorced, most people have no idea and have never heard the term marital assets, non-marital assets. So you're right. You just assume that, the oh, I've been saving all this money. I'm going to be fine in the divorce. And then it's like, wait, what? Especially if you're a working mother who makes most of the money and is doing everything for the kids. So I can certainly understand the resentment, the shock, the anger, the bitterness, I can. But then again, the law is the law. Yeah. And and we, even though it may seem like the husband in that situation doesn't deserve what it is that we're talking about, that we, the law looks at everybody in the family and says, we need to take care of these people. And this is a financial partnership, whether or not it worked well as a financial partnership or did not work well as a financial partnership from a legal perspective, that's what it is. And we need to make sure the kids are okay. We need to make sure both spouses are okay because otherwise they become public charge and no government wants to be taking on people to support that they don't have to. Now, I know you work in a lot of mediated cases. In fact, you don't litigate even anymore, right? I personally don't know. Okay. So 
do you believe that if a woman is a breadwinner, she has a better chance of getting a deal that she's happier with if she goes to mediation? I think most people have a better chance of getting a deal that they're happy with if they go to mediation or collaborative law, period. I think that uh, an out-of-court resolution that's focused not just on the law, but also and maybe primarily on what's important to both people and the, the nuances of their individual situation that's different maybe than from the general population, they're going to get much more of an ability to focus on those elements and to come up with a creative solution that might not feel so so painful. Now, I want to make a point here for the listeners. Catherine, if you like what you're hearing and you're thinking about calling her for a consultation, but now you're saying, oh, she doesn't litigate. And you're like, my ex and I will never be able to mediate. I'd call her anyway. You know why? Because so, 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 so many people go into divorce thinking they're going to end up in a trial and there's no way we're going to be able to agree on things. And then they go to mediation and they start communicating and talking with the help of the mediator, with the help of Catherine. And they end up surprising themselves because mediation really forces you to communicate, even though you can't stand your soon-to-be ex, but it takes it takes the personal stuff out and it becomes a business negotiation. So I wanted to make that point clear because Catherine, not everybody calls and says, hi, um, I'd like a consultation. My ex and I want to mediate our divorce. We're going to no. come in holding hands, right? Singing Kumbaya. Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, in the United States, 95% of divorces settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial, 95%. In New York, it happens to be 97%. So the chances are pretty good. You're going to sign an agreement. You're not going to have a court make a decision after, after a full trial. And so all of these negotiations are really negotiations of one in, in one form or the other. And uh, it, first of all, there are five other attorneys in my firm who have a similar perspective, but do litigate uh, because I think that sometimes people really who are in court need some better negotiation skills and an ability to really focus on what's important to them. Uh, but I think that uh, the chances are you're going to reach a negotiated settlement of one kind or the other, whether or not it's in mediation or in just discussions with your attorneys, but that that discussion can be focused more on what's important to you and less on legal principles if you start in a in outside of court in the first place. Last question. How can women protect themselves from being taken advantage of and to get a divorce settlement that they're relatively happy with? Well, one way to protect yourself is to have a prenuptial or a postnuptial agreement. If you come to a place in your marriage and you are making significantly more money than your spouse or your spouse is looking to find a new career and you're going to be supporting the family for a while and you want to protect your 401k, you want to protect something, that's a time to enter into a conversation about it. Right. It, it, before it happens, not after. That doesn't mean you're getting a divorce. Uh, it just means that you're saying, I'm going to give you the time to do this, but I want to make sure that I'm not disadvantaged by that in the event this doesn't work out. That's one thing. Another thing is not to suffer in silence for years. 
you know, if you're suffering and a year after year after year goes by while your 401k is growing, while your house is growing in equity and value, while your investment portfolio is growing, that's all money you're going to have to share. So when it gets bad, get into therapy and get into counseling and make a decision. I'm not, I am not here to sell divorce. I am I'm not, I'm the first person in my family to ever get divorced. And to this day, only two, me and one of my cousins, and I do not come from a family of divorce and I'm not here to sell it unless it's the thing that's, that is going to free you and make you happy and give you the opportunity to find a good partnership that is really mutually supportive in a good way. So, uh, but if you are, just again, week after week, month after month, year after year, just muttering to yourself angrily and it's not getting better. A decade of that isn't going to help you from a financial perspective and it's not going to help you from a mental health or physical health perspective as well. I never really thought of the financial part, but you're right. There's a lot of people who say, oh, we're going to end up divorced, but we're waiting for the kids to get out of high school. Well, if that's like seven years from now, look how much your 401k is going to grow and you're going to have to share and give your spouse 50% of that when you could get out now. So like Catherine, I am not promoting divorce. I'm promoting doing what's best for you because if you wait and wait and wait and you're afraid to make a move, your spouse might do it and then it's 10 years later. Or sign a postnup agreement and say, you know what, we're going to try to stick this out for the kids, but we're going to have separate finances. There's a lot that you can do. It's worth it to talk to a lawyer. These are the kinds of conversations you're having with yourself or with your friends. And then finally, I would say, you know, like you said, Jackie, if if you make the decision to divorce, rather than uh, heading, thinking you have to head off to court, if you think about uh, find mediation or collaborative law or some other process that really allows you to address the emotional elements of it, as well as the financial and parenting and intimate and a whole bunch of things that go into the divorce process. I think it makes sense to start there. And listen, you know, you said this earlier, Jackie, most of my clients don't walk in holding hands and humming kumbaya. You know, people are angry and people having a lot of conflict and they feel super, super stuck. Uh, in marriages that aren't working. They're having the same argument over and over and over again. And it can really seem like there's no way on God's green earth, they're going to be able to work this out. But that's why we do what we do, you know, is to help people have difficult conversations and end in a different place than they ended in their own kitchen or in Starbucks. And so uh, I wouldn't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, see if you can find a way to find a professional in your area that can really help you understand uh, what your process choices are and get to a better place. We are out of time, but I want to say one more thing that I think is so important about post-nups. I have a story that I think my listeners are going to appreciate. I know this woman, there was a lot of money involved in the marriage and she knew the marriage was really, really suffering. And she knew for years they were going to get divorced she told the husband that he wanted to work it out. And she said, okay, I will give this a try for another year, but we have to have a post-nup. We have to figure out now if what we get, what I get, what you get, if we get divorced and how this is going to work. Because then if we get divorced, 
we won't we'll be getting divorced for the right reason which is not because we're scared because we don't know what's going to happen because if we have a post snap we already know what's going to happen so she ended up he ended up doing it they ended up getting divorced like 3 years later and it was the easiest divorce because she, everything was already in writing it was already done and i cannot stress enough how much i love the post snap yeah if you're in doubt it really can help you make those doubts more clear for you and really allow you then to focus on is this relationship working or not? Catherine, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. I, I loved our conversation. Yeah, it was it was really interesting and I think important. If you are listening to this and you want to get in touch with Catherine, the name of her law firm is the Miller Law Group, and it's miller-law.com, or you can find her in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling, along with so many other wonderful, trusted, vetted divorce professionals. So divorcedgirlsmiling.com, you can find trusted professionals, listen to more podcasts, download my mobile app, read articles, or sign up for my free consult. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon.